Praise be Jesus Christ. Welcome to episode 11 of CarmelCast. My name is Father Michael Joseph of St. Therese, and CarmelCast is a production of the Institute of Carmelite Studies Publications. For more information, you can go to icspublications.org. And today we're very happy to have with us Brother John Mary of Jesus Crucified. Welcome. Thank you. It's good to be here. Uh, I think it's actually significant that the two of us are, are here together um, because now our, our secret is out. <laughs> we're, we're not actually the same person. <laughs> yeah. Father Michael Joseph and I, we, uh, we're often confused. And we, this is the first time that we lived in the same monastery. Yes. And so I think we kind of had this, this just like unspoken kind of, uh, we just assumed that we wouldn't always correct people when they confused us. We would just kind of let them, let them go. But now here we are both in the same, the same place. So it could be special effects, you know. Oh, that's true. <laughs> it's possible these days. Yeah. But. We even had, we, there was a friar who visited here who was from another part of the country. And this was before Father Michael Joseph arrived. And uh, he just acted so happy to see me. And I'd met him before, but he just acted very happy to see me. Like we were very good buddies. And he kept calling me father, father, father. <laughs> and so for a whole week, he was visiting here. And finally, towards the end of the week, he said, Father, why don't they let you celebrate Mass anymore? <laughs> and I said, well, I'm not a priest. And he looked at me and he said, yes, you are. <laughs> I said, oh, that's when I realized. I said, I'm not Father Michael Joseph. <laughs> the whole week he thought that it was you. But Wow, what a privilege to be, <laughs> that, that I would be confused for you and not vice versa. I, yeah. I'm sorry. I'm sorry you had to go through that. But <laughs> it's been tough. <laughs> but here we are. There's here two we are. of us. Yep. And it, I mean, it's really our fault, right? You cut your hair the same way. You wear the same clothes. It's, yeah. it's, but... It's good. It's good. Yeah. So, well, cool, man. Well, uh, again, you know, it's great, great that, that you can be here. You were here last season so much. Um, and today, I think, you know, we'll talk about one of your, your special loves, uh, St. John of the Cross and, and the Dark Knight. What is it about John of the Cross, you think, that fascinates people so much? And, and, um, and maybe that scares people a little bit, too. Yeah, so I've actually, I mean, I feel like I've studied John of the Cross now for several years, and I'm really kind of now devoting myself completely to, to studying uh, his life and his writing. And uh, it's just amazing just thinking now, even just preparing to come here, I was realizing just how little I actually know, right? Mm -hmm. I put so much time and work into it, and I still feel like I'm just beginning um, because, his, yeah, his teaching is just, it's so, so endless. Um, there's just such depth there. Mm -hmm. and, um, and I think in particular is his, uh, his teachings on the dark night that just, it really captivates people's imaginations. Um, yeah, people, there's just something about that that just draws people in. And I think of even myself, when I was first introduced to, to St. John of the Cross, I was, um, I mean, I was, I was fairly young. I was in college and I had heard about this saint, and so, uh, of course, the first thing I do is I find his writings, mm -hmm. and his writing, uh, his commentary is called The Dark Knight, and I start reading. Mm -hmm. um, and I've heard stories of so many people who do, the, do that exact same thing. Um, yeah, there's just something about that title and that image that is just really captivating. Um, but that's not necessarily, like, the best place, really, mm -hmm. to begin with mm -hmm. John. Yeah, well, I think that's, like you said, that's kind of the 
the icon of John in a sense. You hear the Dark Knight. You hear people using it in all kinds of contexts too, right. Dark Knight. So it shows the, the beauty and the power of this symbol. Um, but it's not, yeah, it's not an easy place to begin. Um, and so, you know, maybe you could just say like, why, does, why is it you think that people do feel connected to this symbol of the Dark Knight? Yeah. Yeah, and I think uh, John really, he's an example of, um, of really all... Carmel, all the Carmelite saints, what it is about the Carmelite saints that really captivate people's imaginations. And it's this idea that um, they experienced such incredible like darkness mm. and suffering in their mm. life, and yet um, they were joyful. Mm. And, and it was that suffering that really, um, it, 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 it made them saints, it made them joyful. I mean, we see that in... Um, in St. Teresa of Avila as well, mm-hmm. just some of the difficulties that she faced in her life uh, and how that really bore this fruit of this our entire Carmelite order. I see the same thing in St. Therese, right? Mm-hmm. She experienced her illness where um, she talked about how uh, each breath felt like she was being stabbed and how that, uh, that suffering brought about, brought about like this beautiful patrimony of, of the little way. Mm-hmm. Um, and we see that in, in so many of the other Carmelite saints too. And I, I think that that's captivating to people because we all suffer. Yeah. Like we all experience suffering in our life and it can seem just so meaningless and empty. Um, but these saints, and in, in particular, I think St. John of the Cross, they show us that, that it's not empty suffering, mm-hmm. um, that suffering done with love Suffering done united to Jesus on the cross is redemptive, mm-hmm. and uh, it, yeah, it, it'll turn us into saints. Yes, and like you said, I mean that's we can all have that in common, right? We 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 can. Everyone has experienced darkness in their life. Everyone has experienced some kind of suffering, and I think what struck me, I remember with the Carmelites, was just their their happiness too, and that you can have both of those things together. And as you say, it's leading to something. It's not in vain, you know, and. And so our darkness, our sufferings um, can actually yeah, put us in a place where we will finally receive the happiness, the, the fulfillment we're seeking. And yeah, it just seems that that's great hope. That's great hope for a lot of people out there. And a lot of people, especially with, with interior difficulties, mental illness even, um, that it's leading to something and that God can use it. Um, so maybe just to jump off that then, like, could we be a little more precise? Like what... Um, what is the dark night about in terms of when John is writing the dark night, the commentary on the dark night? Like, what is the basis of that? Yeah. And I mean, really, the, the dark night is... Okay, so f- first and foremost, the dark night, it, it's a poem that mm-hmm. John wrote. Um, and it's, it's a poem that really tells about... It's, it's, an, it's autobiographical. It tells about an experience in his life. Um, yeah, so maybe it would be good to, to just talk about John's life. Uh, as far as like, where does this poem come from? Yes. Yeah. Um, so John of the Cross was born in uh, the 1500s in Spain. Um, he, from a young age, his father passed away, his brother passed away, uh, and so he was left in just extreme poverty, mm-hmm. um, just like a very difficult time growing up uh, in that sense, and. So then when he, uh, he was about, uh, I think, 21, he entered the Carmelites. And uh, so despite what he was experiencing in his life, he still like, felt this call of God to become a Carmelite. Um, and so he was studying to become a priest. And uh, at, at one point, he just, he realized that 
um, he thought that God was calling him to a life of more silence, more prayer, contemplation, more solitude, uh, more penance. And so he decided that uh, he was going to leave the Carmelites and become a Carthusian. Mm. And um, that is when he met St. Teresa of Avila. And this is really, uh, I mean, a, a very important event in his life because she totally changed the trajectory of his life. Mm-hmm. Uh, and she, she told him, she convinced him not to leave the Carmelites, to stay in Our Lady's order, to serve the church, um, and to join with her in, in creating these reforms, uh, these houses of reforms of the Carmelites. And so that's what John ended up doing. Um, and that was kind of the beginning of, of our order, really, was with John and Teresa in that mm-hmm. way. Um, yeah, so then we have, uh, they're, they're creating these houses and uh, suddenly uh, they become rather popular. They begin growing. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of the, the nuns, they want these reformed friars to come and, and be their, their confessors rather than the other, the non-reformed friars. And people want to hear these friars preach. They go to these friars for confession and spiritual direction. So, of course, the, the non-reformed friars, they become a little envious of what's happening there. Um, and eventually they, they find a way um, to, to lock up John of the Cross, basically. They throw him in the monastery prison for being disobe- a disobedient friar. And, um, yeah, they lock him there for nine months. Mm. And he's just, you know, treated horribly. He's um, basically starved. Um, and there's all kinds of like psychological kind of torture that's happening at the same time. Um, just really a, a difficult situation for him to mm-hmm. be in. Um, and this is really kind of the great, the central point of his darkness mm-hmm. um, in his life. Yeah, he, he experienced a lot of darkness leading up to this and was able to overcome so much. Um, but then, yeah, you're, you're imprisoned by your own brothers. You're yes. in this little cell. And you don't know what's going to happen. You have no information of what's going on around you. Um, and you're in solitary confinement. So, yeah, it seems like this would be a natural place for that darkness to reach a kind of a crisis point. Yeah. And, um, and maybe what, what were, I guess we could say, are some ways that he dealt with that darkness then when he was in the jail? And, yeah. and how did he find meaning in that? Right. Yeah, and so uh, this is also a time when he was feeling rather distant from God too. So it wasn't like he was there and he was just able to pray and just feel extremely close to God. He was feeling just really abandoned Mm -hmm. by God. Um, And yet he continued to strive to be faithful to God. He continued to strive to pray and to to hold out hope. Mm -hmm. Um, And so at that same time, then he begins writing these uh, these verses at the Mm -hmm. beginning, not even whole poems, but just verses in his mind. uh, Because at first he didn't have anything to even write on. So he just writes these verses in his um, in his mind about basically about this what he's experiencing about his great desire uh, to be united to God, but kind of the darkness and difficulties mm. that he's facing at that time. Yes, and we know that uh, poetry often is has a lot of symbolism, right? A lot of hidden meanings, um, and so when he was experiencing this darkness and was writing the poetry. Um, it wasn't necessarily always clear what he was talking about, I imagine. And so when he shared it with other people, um, they, they asked him questions, right? And, and yeah. so what was the result, I guess, of these 
questions that he was being asked about about his poems. Yeah, because so um, yeah, so I guess bef- before I go into that, his his escape from prison. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, sure. So after after nine months. Basically, he's on the verge of death, mm-hmm. um, and he realizes like he has to try to get out of the situation, or he's going to die. Um, and so, one night, he uh, managed to manages to to get out of his his cell and go to a window, and he ties sheets together, and basically just like repels down mm-hmm. out of this window. Um, the sheets aren't even long enough, so in the end, he has to even like drop ten feet to the ground, um, and it's you know it's dark out. And um, he's just already worn down and beaten because he's even been, you know, he's been whipped um, and hasn't been fed well. So he's like really weak at this point. But somehow, uh, rather miraculously, as he would recount later, he manages to escape. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it's after this escape that he actually writes down the poem, uh, The Dark Knight. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, it's autobiographical in the sense that he's referring to this night of his escape, this this one dark night when when he escaped from the prison. Um, but much deeper than that, there's more meaning. It's not just a historical account of that night, but also what he was experiencing internally in his relationship with God during those nine months that he was in the prison. Um, so then what you were saying about, yeah, so he writes this poem, right? It has this incredible depth of meaning, and he shares it with people, and they read it, and they say, oh, this is great, but I have no idea what it means. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so they go to him, and they're asking him, explain this. And that's when John sits down and writes some of his, his prose work. Mm-hmm. Um, he writes two other uh, works, The Ascent of Mount Carmel and The Dark Knight, which are both commentaries on um, this poem that he wrote. Yeah, and you could say that the poem itself is is pretty short, right? I mean, yeah. the commentaries between the ascent and dark night are, are long, you know, two volumes. Um, but the poem is pretty short, and it's beautiful. And maybe it's just a nice thing for people if they don't have a lot of experience with John, yeah. just to read that poem first, you know, before maybe even getting into the the prose work, the the commentary, right? right? Yeah, yeah, that that is a, it's a very good place to start, I think, mm-hmm. because. Picking up John's uh, his his uh, prose writing can be rather intimidating mm-hmm. um, because he uses a lot of you know, scholastic terminology and it, it's you know rather long mm-hmm. and but the poem is just so beautiful and you can even find uh, I like to listen to some videos on YouTube. There's like sung versions of the poetry oh, yeah. in Spanish and that's just incredibly beautiful yes. to, to 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 listen to that. Yes, and even at that time, people recognized though right away that he was. A great poet. I mean, he had such abilities, and right. um, so the people he shared it with were, were very moved by this poem. But, but like you said, they, they didn't always know what it meant, or or so um, they asked him to explain it to them, and and so then he wrote this these commentaries. But who were mostly who were the audiences he was writing for, or like directing this for? Yeah. So it was mainly the nuns mm-hmm. and his fellow friars that he was writing to. They were the ones coming to him saying. Like explain this to us, mm-hmm. um, and so we always have to keep that in mind when we're reading because John's writing to people who have already devoted their lives uh, in religion, you know, to living in a religious order. Um, they're likely very well educated in spiritual things already, mm-hmm. and have been living lives of prayer for a long time. And so it's funny because John actually writes at the beginning of the ascent. He writes that he's writing for beginners mm-hmm. and proficients. Mm-hmm. Well. We can be like, oh, beginners, <laughs> right? So I can understand this, 
But really what John means by beginners is very different than what we think. Yeah. Um, beginners, in, in, in the sense that he's using it, are those who have really already been established well in the spiritual life. So they're already praying regularly. Mm-hmm. Um, they've already broken their like habits of serious sin. Um, and yeah, so they're, they're, they're already have a good like kind of foundation. Um, and I think it can be discouraging for us if we go in thinking that we should be able to understand and do all these things that John's saying. Yeah. But even if we're not there yet, um, it doesn't mean that we can't draw like a lot of fruit from what he's saying as well. Because even though he's re- maybe referring to those who are further along this journey than we are, like there's so much that we can pick up. From definitely, definitely. And, and he makes it clear too, it's, it's all grace anyways, you know, so it's, it's not something that I can just sort of make happen in myself, but we can read that and trust that God can bring that about in us. And if we're open to it, of course, and, and cooperate with it, but that it's not yet cut off from us or anything. Yeah. And, and we know that even um, uh, people who aren't Christian or, or even, even atheists have found a lot of fruit in John's writings. Right. Um, and, and so I think it shows, too, that there, there is still a universality, but we, it's, it's so helpful to know the context, you know, yes. and, and what he actually means, you know, by dark night. So we don't just kind of come up with our own idea that, that then ends up maybe discouraging us even. Um, so could you maybe just share a little bit about, in a more maybe simple way, but what, what does John mean by the dark night? Yeah, it's, I find that it's like such a difficult question actually to answer, right? I feel like I, you know, I've read this so many times and I can talk about the dark night, but then if someone says, well, what is the dark night? Mm-hmm. That's when it's like, wow, yeah. <laughs> this, is, this is really hard to explain, right? Because yeah. um, John, it, it, throughout the, his writing, he even explains it in very different ways at different points. And mm-hmm. so it's really hard to kind of narrow it down to even a, a working definition. Yeah. Um, but I guess if I had to, if I had to put it kind of simply, I would say that um, the dark night is just this experience in our spiritual journey uh, where we we face suffering and darkness, mm-hmm. um, whether those be temporal or spiritual, mm-hmm. um, and which serve to purify a soul on this journey mm-hmm. towards union with God. Mm-hmm. Now I know maybe that's not totally simple. <laughs> um, but yeah, so yeah, I think that's that's like a, a decent like if I have to put it in, yeah distill it a little bit. Yeah, well, I think it is simple. I mean, in the sense that everyone can relate to that, and it it doesn't have to be this mystical kind of experience of absence of God or something. But it's anything can be a night in a way that is a suffering or or a, a, a sense of not being fulfilled or satisfied or. Um, a sort of restlessness. Um, yeah, and so, it doesn't have to be like this great dramatic suffering. I think that's yeah. typically what people think of when they think of the dark night is mm-hmm. this just dramatic thing. But really just the little sufferings we face in our daily lives. I think of like, um, just I've met, I've met so many people who suffer so much because their kids really aren't following this the journey of the faith, mm-hmm. have left the church, and just realizing like what a great suffering that is for so many people. And really, I think that that can be a, a dark night experience for somebody, just the suffering that they go through, like seeing their, mm. ch- their children not on the right path. Yes. Um, so it can be those, just those normal, normal events of our daily lives, really, that, um, that bring these darknesses and trials, which can really purify us 
and uh, sanctify us. Well, and I think that's a good, a good word that you mentioned at the end, the purification, the sanctification, like it has a purpose, right. you know, and, and so what, what makes the dark night meaningful, you know, and, and, and even a joy at times to go through is, is knowing what, you know, yeah. what, what, what would you say is the purpose of that and what could actually right. give joy to us in the midst of it? Yeah. Yeah. It's always remembering the end. Mm -hmm. The, I mean, without the end of, of union with God, uh, our perfect happiness, beatitude, without that end, I'm, all of this would be meaningless. Yeah. Um, yeah, all this suffering and darkness would have no meaning. Yeah. Um, but we have to keep in mind always that God loves us so much. He desires us to be ultimately fulfilled completely with him. Mm -hmm. um, he desires to transform us into himself in love. And that is the end of all of this. It's not um, just some, you know, tests that we have to go through for no purpose. It's mm -hmm. that this is actually the means by which this suffering, this darkness, God is sanctifying us and drawing us um, to that love. And yeah, if we forget that, um, John T. always talks about the, the nada, mm -hmm. nada, 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 you know, nothing, nothing, nothing. Mm -hmm. And you can't understand the nada unless you understand the other side of that, which is the total, it's the everything, mm -hmm. right? So you have to have this, this everything, which is just perfect happiness with God eternally. Um, it's, it's for that sake that we have this, the nada, the nothing. And could you say how, in a way, I mean, you know, it's, it's mysterious, very, I mean, in, in a high degree, it's, myster it's mystery, but how does God use it to bring that about? Yeah, so in, in John's writing, he talks about, um, well, you can, he makes this division um, between the night of the senses and the night of the spirit. Um, and I actually think it's a mistake to, to separate these two too much. Mm -hmm. um, really, this is one night, um, but it's uh, two different aspects of this night. Mm -hmm. um, and so when John talks about the senses, he's not just talking about like our five bodily senses, um, but he's also talking about our imaginations, um, our emotions, things like that. Mm -hmm. And so that's on one side is like God wants to purify those things. He wants to purify uh, all of our five senses plus our imaginations and everything that goes along with that. Then it, he also talks about the dark night of the, the spirit. And by the spirit, he's referring to like that really that deep part of our soul. Mm -hmm. um, it's really kind of the, the, uh, the, the powerhouse of our souls, kind mm -hmm. of the, the, where our faculties reside. So there he's talking about, um, I mean, traditionally the, the intellect, memory, and the will. Mm -hmm. um, and those are to be purified as well in, through, in this night. Yes. Um, so yeah, it's again, God wants to purify all of these things, all of us completely. Mm -hmm. He wants to purify us. And um, generally, like we'll find that God begins with, with those things that are most external to us, with the senses, and then he works deeper and deeper, uh, finally down to our very core, yeah. um, just slowly transforming us. Yeah. Well, I think, and even just looking at our own experience of the spiritual life, we can see that, you know, at, at the beginning or in certain moments, we let go of things and even things that aren't terrible. Like maybe I live to get Taco Bell after work. You know, I remember that. I used to love Taco Bell. And like, and then as I start growing in my faith, I was like, I can't put so much of my energy and joy in Taco Bell, you know, right. it's got to, it's, it, you know, as, and so as God becomes more of our, 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 um, 
joy in our relationship with God becomes more strong and more at the center, those sense goods, right, that we, we tend to put so much into or look forward to so much, right. kind of back away from that a little bit, right? Yes. Because they don't provide the same joy right. that God does. Yeah. Right. And it's not that Taco Bell is bad, right? Yeah, yeah. It's it's that God is so much better. <laughs> Hard to imagine that might be. Yes, yes. Yeah. But yeah, so that's that's the reality, right? That we are, um, we're, we're just attached to so many things. Mm-hmm. And some of the things I think, maybe the external things are even easier to notice that we're attached to. Uh, John of the Cross, he writes about like being attached to a particular like article of clothing. Mm-hmm. Um, or we can be attached to a particular kind of food. Um, and we can realize that these are, I mean, these things in themselves aren't bad, but it's our relationship to them which yeah. can be dangerous mm-hmm. um, because we are giving our, our focus, our energies, uh, focusing on these things mm-hmm. when really we should be focusing completely on God. Yeah. And that's what God wants for us. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and even with things that are, that are very good, like, because and maybe this as as it gets deeper, you know, like the the example you mentioned of of the the parents with their children who aren't making great decisions or or moving away from the faith. That's not just a question of of Taco Bell or or some kind of nice nice sense good, you know. That's more of a question of of a relationship, you know, very deep relationship. How could you say maybe God might be using the night of that to purify and bring and bring a parent, let's say to a deeper place of union with God through that. Could you say maybe yeah. how that might come about? Right, so I think, um, yeah, so John of the Cross writes that uh, a bird held by even a single thread uh, can't fly away. Mm-hmm. So he wants us to be completely free. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's really his goal in all of, all of this is to free us to love him mm-hmm. completely. Mm-hmm. Um, and. Yes, I mean, we can, like, I mean, parents are called to love their children, um, but there's, you can't control your ch- yeah. child. I mean, really, you have to just, you have to, to pray and do all that you can to help your child, but then at the same time, um, just entrust it to God yeah. and trust that, that God is the one who, for reasons we may not know, is allowing this to happen. Yes, and you think the the faith that that could strengthen, the hope, right? right? Faith, hope, and charity are the... The, the realities that, that we want more than anything that this darkness is supposed to lead to um, if we're open to it. So the faith that can grow, the hope that God himself will save this child of mine that I can't control right. and that I have no idea how he's going to do it, right? Right. And, and then patience. Yeah. I think patience is like another great virtue you can learn through that kind of suffering. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so, yeah, in, in a way, God can use something which doesn't seem like it's leading to him to really transform you right yeah yeah so i think you know we mentioned some of these like external sense goods like food or uh i mean now i think of like i mean you can be so we can be so attached to like the internet Mm -hmm. or to our cell phones um things like that those sometimes those are more those are actually easier to at first those are the things we usually begin with of realizing like maybe my relationship to this isn't terribly healthy mm-hmm. uh, maybe I need to reconsider the ways that I use these things not that they're bad in themselves but again where's my focus where's my heart yeah um, but then we begin to realize that there are these other attachments that we have that are more interior mm-hmm. and I think these are the ones that um, they can be harder to realize but when we do realize them you just yeah, we realize just how completely attached we are to so many things. Like one I think of him, um, 
I think it's it's pretty common in, in religious life we see common in the monasteries. It's it's easy to be attached to uh, thinking that the way you think things, the way that you think that things ought to be done is like the best way, mm-hmm. right? And that's so so easy. Um, or another example would be like being attached to uh, other people thinking highly of me. Yeah. Um, or being praised by others mm-hmm. like these are those little things that again it's not bad in it they're not bad in themselves uh it's not bad to be thought highly of it's not bad to be praised it's not bad to have opinions about how things ought to be done uh, but we can be overly attached to those things yeah. and they can become kind of the focus of our lives and even the fact that they're not maybe leading us to god like even if they're they're not bad things but they're somehow getting in the way yeah. And it's it's just yeah the energy we put into them, um, and I think that can even happen in our relationship with God, right? Yes. And 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 could and maybe that again. This is getting deeper. This is at first we don't see these things, but as we go along, we start seeing more and more. Maybe how how could we see the dark night in terms of our relationship with God, even and how yeah, yeah. right. So I like to think that. Um, at the beginning, uh, when we're living lives, maybe if we're just like more consumed in sin, just going from sin to sin, uh, that's like we're just like living on, like we're, we're eating poison, basically, mm-hmm. right? Um, just it's slowly killing us. Well, God wants to get us away from <laughs> this, this poison. So what does he do? He offers us ice cream. He <laughs> says like, okay, here, don't eat that poison. Eat this instead. And so then we begin enjoying this ice cream and so this ice cream would be like an example of uh god will just try to he'll he'll win us over so like suddenly uh we may feel drawn to prayer and just being in prayer just brings us so much joy or we'll find that uh it, it becomes very easy for us to to do good things to to practice virtue in different situations um or we may just in thinking about god reading theology we'll have all these lofty ideas right mm-hmm. And again, these are great things, and God's using them to help us to break away from these sinful habits and be completely focused on Him. Um, but the danger in that is then we become so fixated on the ice cream, yeah. uh, we become so fixated on the good feelings in prayer or how we feel joy when we're doing good for others, mm-hmm. um, that we focus too much on those things, and then we still miss the point, which yeah. is the love of God. Yeah. And uh, so that's when I think God slowly starts to kind of wean us away from the ice cream. Yeah. What he really wants for us is to, to eat the substantial food that'll, mm-hmm. that'll make us strong and grow. He wants to give us the, the meat and potatoes and vegetables. Mm-hmm. Um, but if all we've eaten is ice cream, mm-hmm. at the beginning when he starts giving us the meat, potatoes, and vegetables, it's not going to taste very good. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and we're going to be craving the ice cream still. Sure. And so this is what happens, I think. Often people experience it in their lives of prayer. At the beginning, they're so fervent and just they're enjoying prayer. And then slowly, the time of prayer just becomes very dry, mm-hmm. boring, and, and arid and just a trial. Mm-hmm. Um, and we can begin to think like, oh, God's turned his back on me. Maybe I'm doing something wrong. Mm-hmm. And it, the truth is, no, God is just, rather than us focusing so much on these joys of prayer, the happiness we feel, God is slowly taking those things away in order to purify us Mm -hmm. so that we can really get to the substance of of what he wants, um, which is union with him. Yes, yes. And even the ideas that we might have about God, you know, we can 
think so much about them or, or depend so much on them. These ideas are these things that make so much sense to us. And, and again, they're good. They come from good books and good writers. But the key is they're not God, right? right. They're not God. Even the ideas themselves are not God. And so um, in order to be open to God, we can't grasp so much on our own way of understanding, right? Yeah. And and. What does that lead to? You know, a deeper faith, hopefully, right? That the faith is, is trusting, believing when we don't have all the answers, when we don't feel like we, we can just grasp everything, and yet we still believe and still trust. Yeah. And, and yeah, I just, I just hope that people as they go along um, won't get discouraged. Mm-hmm. You know, when those ideas or thoughts don't make as much sense to them anymore, or they can't rely on them so much in their prayer or even in their way of seeing God. Um, that it's it's leading to something greater, and it doesn't mean lack of faith. It means a deeper, deeper faith. Often, right? Yeah, yeah. Because I mean, that's yeah. Again, always keeping that end in mind of mm-hmm. um, God is allowing this in order to draw us, to purify us, to sanctify us. Yes, yes. I think one question that a lot of people probably have in mind is when John talks about the dark night. Often, it sounds a lot like an experience of depression, mm-hmm. and and it can get confusing of like, what is the distinction there? You know, what is the difference between the dark night that, that we might be going through from on a spiritual side and then depression yeah. as we understand it? Right. And I mean, John, even he writes about this, but he doesn't necessarily use the term depression like as we would understand it today. Yeah. Um, but John, it, John does see it as important of like, we need to be able to distinguish when I'm experiencing darkness, uh, suffering, like I feel like God's abandoned me. Um, is this due to um, this actual, like this experience of the dark night that's the work of God? Or is this some other, something else? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that could be one of like several different things. One thing that uh, John talks about is we could just be backsliding. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's a real possibility in, in the spiritual life. Uh, another thing he talks about is that uh, it could be due to uh, just like patterns of sin that we no longer feel close to God. Mm-hmm. Um, or it could be due to what we would call now depression, mm-hmm. um, maybe some natural uh, thing that's happening. And we shouldn't just turn and like um, automatically assume like, oh, well, this is just something that God wants me to go through. He wants me to, to, to suffer this, um, this, this night. Mm-hmm. Uh, when really what we need to do is perhaps, you know, seek real help yes. um, if, if the case is depression. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, how do we determine, like, what the difference is? And one thing that I read that was interesting is that um, that uh, every experience of depression isn't the dark night, but every experience of depression can be used uh, to purify us mm-hmm. and to sanctify us mm-hmm. if we uh, uh, relate to these things in the appropriate ways. Yeah, I, yeah, I guess then if, if someone's going through a, a real darkness, um, maybe how, how could they distinguish or, or, or at least get a deeper sense of where God is in this or if this is more just this depression or I haven't gotten enough sleep <laughs> or is it maybe uh, the result of God's loving action as a dark night in my life. Right. Yeah, I think the the main way we can tell the difference is just that um, in this experience, in this dark night, we have this, this incredible desire for God that never goes away. Mm-hmm. Um, now we have to like really understand what do we mean by desire? Because it's not gonna be good feelings. Mm-hmm. It's not gonna be just like 
you know, happiness and all of this. It's, it's in the midst of a trial. Um, but yet there's just like this deep in me, this great desire that never goes away, never wanes. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's what we see, I think, in the life of John on the cross is no matter what he was facing, he just had this incredible desire, just like this fire within him mm-hmm. um, for, for God. Yes. And as you said, the fire might not be something we feel in, on a sense level. And, but I think of even, again, like the, going back to the, the parent whose children aren't going to Mass, and maybe are experiencing a lot of darkness from that, but they still want so much to be close to God. Mm-hmm. And, and they don't let that turn them away from God. Right. You know, and, and they still go to church. They still you know, go to their prayer time. Yeah. Um, they still make their life, try to make their life a gift to others, you know, even if their dreams are not being fulfilled yeah. for their children or their family. Right? So it's, 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 a, it's a perseverance almost, I would yes. think. You know? Right, yeah, because I've heard it said, if, when I feel dryness and emptiness in prayer, how do I know that that's the cause of God really is doing that work in me? He's mm. kind of drawing, away, drawing me away from that ice cream, yeah. uh, bringing me to the more substantial food. And really the, the, the only way to know for certain is that I persevere in prayer. Yeah. Despite the emptiness, despite the dryness, I remain faithful to prayer. Mm-hmm. And that's how I know, yes, this is God doing this work because mm-hmm. I'm, still, I'm still loving him. I'm still uh, yeah, being obedient and loving son of God. Yeah, and that can be the fire. That was the yes. fire in John of the Cross. Even if you're dragging yourself sometimes, but it's it's a fire because you're you're going, you're doing it, yes. right? You're 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 moving forward, um, and maybe there's a you know today. Well, today is the the feast of Saint John Paul II, right. and as as a young man, he encountered Carmelite spirituality and fell in love, and and especially with John of the Cross. Yes. And so, um, could you maybe just say a little bit about that? Yeah. Is it- is actually in the the introduction to uh, the collected like theology of the body of John Paul II. Mm. I remember reading that introduction, and it says that uh, John Paul II learned Spanish just so he could read John of the Cross wow. in its original language. Yeah. So, like you realize, just like how significant John, uh, John of the Cross and Carmelite spirituality was for Saint John Paul II, mm-hmm. that he learned an entire language just so he could read. I mean, he was reading things that he could have just read in his, his native Polish, oh, too. Yeah. But there was something that he wanted to read in its original language. Uh, so something really spoke to him. Um, so much so that John Paul II actually wrote his dissertation on St. John of the Cross. Mm. Um, in particular, he wrote it on faith according to St. John of the Cross. Um, and that just ties in so perfectly to this, this night that we're talking about. Mm-hmm. Um, because our response to that night has to be faith. Yeah. Uh, it's it's remaining faithful, standing at the foot of the cross, staying there even in the greatest darkness, um, and just hoping and, and, and trusting that God has a plan. Even mm-hmm. though we don't know what that plan is, it may seem totally dark and bleak. Um, I read somewhere that John of the Cross's spirituality is, is hanging between uh, Good Friday and Easter Sunday. Mm. Um, so Easter Sunday is this beatific vision, this glory that we're waiting for. Um, and we're in this time in between. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, yeah, you're just holding out in faith, like trusting that God has a plan. Yeah, and it doesn't mean it's, it's always agony. You know, there's a real peacefulness to that, to that trust, even in the midst of darkness. I think that's what yeah. um, so many of our saints experience, you know, and, and the regular person of faith experiences that, 
They, they might be in that, hanging in that space, but there's a peace and, and a real sense that, no, this is good. And I wouldn't want to leave it because it's leading to something, right? And that, that is what John Paul II really gets at in his mm. dissertation is when he's writing about faith. Faith is not just some uh, belief in some object or some creed. It's faith is a relationship with a person. Mm -hmm. It's a relationship of love. Mm -hmm. um, and that's what John, John of the Cross, he just, yeah, I think he just, in, in his, everything he writes in his, in, in, in his life, that's what he puts across mm -hmm. is that um, really uh, the, the spiritual journey is this great love story uh, where we can leave everything else behind in pursuit of the one that we love. Mm -hmm. uh, ev leave everything behind because it all pales in comparison to God and the love that he has for us. Hey everyone, Brother Pier Giorgio here. Thanks for checking out this episode of CarmelCast. If you want to hear more of us, don't forget to click subscribe. Want more information on Carmelite spirituality and the Discalce Carmelite Saints? Then you'll want to check out our website, www.icspublications.org. There's a link in the description of this episode. From here, you can see all our current promotions and access our complete catalog for the writings of St. John of the Cross, St. Teresa of Avila, St. Therese of Lisieux, St. Elizabeth of the Trinity, and St. Edith Stein. If you want to stay up to date on all our promotions and new titles, then be sure to add your email to our email list. There's no better way to stay up to date on the latest Carmelite publications. Thanks for joining us, and may God bless you.